We left off a, a few weeks ago now at this point where we started this series on discipleship as we're looking at uh, Galatians chapter 5 and Galatians chapter 6. And when we started that series, we talked about what the Apostle Paul said in terms of being able to win the war, that uh, there is a picture that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And there's encouragement in that is that we don't have to give in to our sins. We don't have to give in to the flesh, but that it is possible through the strength of God to be able to win this battle that is before us. And so we talked about these two spheres. You were either walking in the spirit led by the spirit, or you are gratifying the desires of the flesh, walking by the flesh. And now what you notice in, in our reading then that this morning is in Galatians 5, he begins to describe then some of the things that are part of what it looks like to walk according to the flesh. Now, a couple of things I want to talk about with that. First of all, I think it is interesting that he points out there in, in verse 18 or verse 19 that the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. I think I always have found that interesting. Uh, what a way to put that is that these things are readily Understood. These things are readily visible that these are things that reveal that you are walking not according to the spirit, but according to the flesh. And I think this is an important way to to proceed as we look at these three verses is that the point that you have here from the Apostle Paul is not, well, let me give you a long list of things that I don't want you to do. And there's a few reasons why to understand that. Number one, you might notice that there's a lot of big sins not in the list. Like you might have caught when you read verse 19 and 20 and 21, like where was murder? <laughs> there's some things in there that you're like, well, wouldn't that clearly show that you're... It's not a comprehensive list by which you're supposed to sit down and read this and go, okay, if I don't do all these things, I'm going to be fine. That's not how to read this. That's not what the Apostle Paul is doing. In fact, that's proven a little bit later on in verse 21 when he goes, and things like these. He's trying to even tell you, I'm not being comprehensive. I'm not giving you a list that if you just avoid these certain things, then you're going to be fine. That's, that's not the idea. But rather what you have is the Apostle Paul trying to get us to look at these sins and understand that if you see these things in your life, you're not walking by the Spirit even though you think you are. It's not an attempt to try to say, okay, do this, don't do this. That's not, not too often this section gets used that way. It's not it. But trying to get us to awaken our senses to realize that you may be thinking you're walking by the spirit and, and walking in that sphere. Yet here are some of the things that often people of God may be doing that he says, if you do those things, you're not walking by the spirit. You're not inheriting the kingdom of God. Now, the thing that I, I don't want to do with this section is then just start breaking down every single word and, 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 and do all that. I don't think that's going to be of profit for what I want to do today. Uh, rather, if we're going to see that these are warnings and there are pictures that are being given here to us, that we are following the flesh and not following Jesus, what I wanted to do is just kind of zero in on a few of them. 
and, and talk about them for a few minutes because what I'm going to call some of these sins is essentially acceptable sins. Is that there are things in this list that we may not realize that we have overlooked or allowed in our lives and don't realize that they are things that are showing us that we are walking by the flesh. Uh, And because of our culture or our upbringing or whatever it is that we've allowed these things to exist in our lives. Uh, You will notice in verse 19 that the, the first three works that are listed are intended to just try to encompass just about any kind of sexual or sensual situation, activity that you can possibly think of. It's interesting that Greek scholars have tried to figure out the big distinction between these three words And there's not a lot of big distinction between them so much as just trying to understand. Paul threw a really big net out right here and basically said, if it's in any kind of category of sexual sin or sexuality or sensuality or moral impurity, it's all thrown in this kind of bucket. Some of the translations will even read words like lewdness or lustful pleasures. A couple translations even had doing what feels good, which reflecting that following the flesh kind of idea. And again, rather than talking about what we would classify as the obvious sins of sexual morality and things like that, one of the areas that I think we need to be really careful when we talk about what we accept in our lives that would fit into these categories is the things that we consume in regards to our technology, the things that we watch, things that are on our devices, the things that we stream or the the people that we're talking to in, 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 through social media and things like that. So that we live in a time right now that is so sexually saturated, it's really surprising anymore how much is allowed through either social media that you can access, through television, through streaming, through any of those kinds of outlets. And one of the things that we have to be careful as the people of God is to know that those kinds of things are still not acceptable for followers of Jesus to be looking at. That there are so many TV shows, so many streaming shows, so many uh, things through either a, a Facebook, Instagram, TikToks, things like that, where there are things on there that people of God should not be looking at because it is not pure. It is not right, but would fall into these categories of sexual and sensual and lustful pleasures. And it's one of those areas that I think as Christians, because our culture just tidal waves us with it, that you just almost succumb to it and go, well, what am I supposed to do? It's everywhere. It's just in everything anymore. And the encouragement to see that what the Apostle Paul is picturing here should allow us to to step into this moment and go, okay, if I'm watching those things, I'm not walking by the Spirit. I can think that I'm in the realm of the Spirit and doing the things of God. But if I'm allowing myself to see these kinds of things and watch those kinds of things and allow my lust and my desires to be inflamed by what I'm interacting with or watching, that falls into this category of what's being described here, of these three things. 
And I think for a long time, uh, and rightfully so, I think men have been blasted for this, and I think they, again, rightfully should as a big warning. But I hope you're observing now in our culture now is that that has equaled out. And a lot of TV shows and a lot of stuff that's streamed is about trying to engage that in the women now, in the guys and their nudity and what they're wearing and not wearing and doing. And you can see that in, in the reviews and in the posts about, oh, this guy and he's t-, and it's like, that's the same thing. <laughs> that's the exact same thing. It's not unacceptable for guys, but acceptable for, for the ladies. This is the same temptation. This is the same lustful pleasures. This is the same sensuality that the Apostle Paul is talking about. These things need to be ridded from us. And you must be ready to go to war in that because it is walking by the flesh and gratifying those desires rather than of the spirit. And so it's one of those areas that we can think it's an acceptable sin because it's so prevalent in our culture. Now, you might laugh at me at the next one. The one that I'm going to pick next is, is, is sorcery. And you're going to go, now that one is certainly not a problem. What are we doing in sorcery, Brent? You've got to be crazy to be zeroing in on sorcery of all things. I thought of all the things that we could kind of hum by, you would, you would go by that one. But sorcery or witchcraft, depending upon your translation, conjures within our minds often all the wrong ideas. Because if you think of sorcery and witchcraft, we kind of start thinking about wizard hats and witches' brews, and then we kind of go, well, we don't have a witch's brew, and I'm not wearing a sorcerer's hat, so we're, we're all good here, right? I'm not, not engaged in that. But the wording of what that was talking about in the Greek is very different than what those words conjure into our minds. You're often used of one of two things. It was often used of using drugs or chemicals in that time to poison other people, which I hope you're not doing. Uh, But the other part of it is using those things to manipulate one's state of mind, state of consciousness. And that's how you can kind of see how the witchcraft sorcery idea came into effect was that you would use these drugs to kind of come to a higher spirituality, to come to a different level, to leave the pains and the problems of this life and this world and this physical plane. And you would go over to this plane instead and you would enjoy what's over here instead. That was what the the sorcery idea was about. And so I want just to observe, and that's why I'm showing you that these are not my ideas, but reading these scholars who said one of the ways this was used is even in the ancients and in the first century, sorcery and witchcraft was used, the drug use, to kill unwanted, unborn children. And they would use it for that better living. Let me just get away from this world and get away from this. And so the reason why that I think is relevant is because sometimes there can be the mentality, oh, well, God doesn't talk about these things. Uh, it's really interesting, the, the Greek word, which I never really like to do with you because, you know, so what? But it's a derivative. It's this pharma. I can't speak to you Greek, so I can't even hardly say it, but it's like pharmanukis, which is where we get our English word pharmacy. The point is not pharmacies are bad. That's why you have to be careful about that. But it was the idea of using these kinds of drugs 
to get away from life, to achieve a higher spirituality, to drown out the pain, do things like that. That was what that sorcery was kind of conjuring. And so I think it's important to get a sense of, of what they were talking about in that day and time. And speaking like that was it wasn't just simply, you know, let me, you know, look into the cauldron and wave my magic wand. And we kind of look at sorcery like that, but really was an attempt to use drugs and chemicals for a higher spirituality and get away from life. And we had to be careful about that. Now, Anytime I ever talk about things like this, I think it's always important to use a very big disclaimer that we have many medicines, many drugs, many things like that that are used to try to correct what is wrong with our bodies. There are things that are out of kilter, out of whack, and we're using those things to try to help. That's not what the Apostle Paul's talking about. He's talking about using things to get away from life. (laughs) Using things to try to have a different level, be on a spiritual plane, get away from the world, you know, drown out. The, that's, that was the idea of what that, those things were about. And I want us to realize then that there's something that we may fall into as well as something acceptable that you have the Apostle Paul talking about is that these are not to be for altering our minds and using these things to gratify the desires of the flesh. Look at what you have also in uh, verse 20. Some of the translations read enmity, which is comes after sorcery in the ESV. Some of them say hostility or hatred. I'm going to say something really outlandish right here. You're not supposed to hate people. I walked a thin line there. It is interesting in a list of sexual immorality and idolatry and all of this that I want you to see that the idea of hatred and hostility sits here as well. And the reason why I think that is important for us to talk about for a minute is because we live in a culture right now that does everything it can to spark hatred in you. News and social media and all kinds of things like that are trying to ignite within you that hatred. How many times have you noticed a news article where the headline completely did not represent what the rest of the article was going to say, but the article headline was trying to inflame within you a reason to read what it was all about. And then you got to the end of it and you went, well, that really wasn't a big deal, was it? (laughs) Because the whole attempt is to try to spark something within you. And we're encouraged now in our culture to hate people that disagree with you. The world would be a better place if we just got rid of everybody that disagreed with you. Of course, by the way, it'd be a very lonely planet if you did that because there's not going to be anybody left. We're all going to disagree with each other on various things, even when it comes to the word of God. We're going to have these disagreements and differences. But I think it's important for us to observe that this is encouraged within us and sparked within us so that we end up, well, we're going to hate our culture. We're going to hate those people. We hate that group. We're going to hate our leaders. And then you have all of that inflamed within us as we hate everything that's going on. And we're, we're all wound up about that. And that kind of just spills into our community. So then you, after you watch all this hatred stuff and you're all upset about everything and then you get in the car. Well, and I hate that guy because he's driving like that. And I hate that because they're being too slow. And that, it just inflames it. 
So that's why I'm taking a step back and saying, it's not acceptable to hate. You might remember what was told to us in Leviticus 19, verse 17, as it was said to Israel when he told Israel to not hate another in your heart. To not hate another person in your heart. Or I can say it as Jesus said it, I want you to love your enemies. Love your enemies. And I think it's important to ask ourselves that we may be engaged in things, watching things, reading things, that if you notice it is inflaming within you, within your heart, that kind of hate that just wells that up, you need to step back from that. You need to really step back from that. Because it really does spill into everything else. Because now I'm so upset, so then I take it out on my wife or my kids or my neighbors or my, and it just starts unraveling everywhere. We're not supposed to hate. We're not supposed to have that kind of spirit within us. And it is a reminder to us that we are not walking by the spirit if we are consumed by hate. We are hating people, hating various groups. Hating, that's not supposed to be us. We're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to do good to our enemies and care for them. Similarly, you'll notice right behind that in verse 20, you'll see uh, the word jealousy or envy. Another acceptable sin. It's okay to be jealous and envious of people. We seem to allow that as well. Let me ask it and frame it like this. Can you be happy for others? Or are you bothered by others when they have joy or success? Something good happens to them. Is your first response, that's really great. Or is your first response, why doesn't that happen to me? Them? How could that happen to them? Come on. It's a heart check. And it's easy to allow jealousy and envy and that rivalry kind of mentality to reside in our hearts. And I'll state it again. We're living in a culture that encourages that. (laughs) Just absolutely encourages a jealousy. I really do think that is the essence of social media anymore is trying to invoke the the jealousy of other people. I was... um, we were on vacation back this summer. <laughs> we were walking down the boardwalk. Uh, I can't remember what city we were walking down the boardwalk in up, up north of here. And um, saw the funniest thing of a daughter with her dad. And they was the reason I paid attention to the lifeguard station, because there it had the surfboards you could rent. And I'm always interested in that kind of idea. And I was seeing it was terribly expensive. And I saw some, this, this, this uh, teenage girl had the board, and I thought, oh, well, that's going to be interesting. She's going to go ride. Propped it up at the edge of the beach, and her dad is taking photos of her. And then after taking the photos, she looks at him. Apparently, they weren't good enough. Does it again. Bunch more photos. Checks them again. Those apparently weren't good enough. 
This went on probably five or ten minutes, it seemed like, watching this whole thing finally go on. And I thought about that in terms of this lesson, because so often what social media is encouraging is for you to think that everybody else is having their perfect life right now, except you. (laughs) When what they're doing is filtering out 23 hours and whatever minutes but one to try to show you, oh, look how great things are, even though that's not reality in the slightest, not even close to the reality. But, oh, look, I have the perfect life in this little moment right now. But I was there watching. No, they don't. They couldn't even. It took them forever to figure this out. (laughs) It wasn't it at all. It was all a show. It was all just a prop. And yet that's so often what our world tries to do to us is try to engage that jealousy. Everybody's having a great time but me. Everybody has a great life but me. Did you know that everybody eats a perfect meal but you every single meal? I mean, it's unbelievable. How do they get this great food and how did I miss out? I mean, goodness, it's crazy what happens as people try to present that to other people that I have the perfect life and you should be jealous and envious of me. And does it work? Do you fall into that and go, oh, yeah, everybody. Here's the good news. They're all lying to you. (laughs) they don't have a perfect life they're trying to portray something that's not accurate they're trying to portray something that is not true and so i think it's important that we ask ourselves are we trying to make other people jealous of us and are we jealous of others you know it's my goal to try to get other people to think i've got such a perfect life i'm just going to you know, portray these certain things so that you'll think such wonderful things and try to invoke that in people. Is that why I say what I say and act how I act and post what I post? Or do those things encourage that in my own heart where now I'm discontent and I'm upset and I go, oh, you know, everybody else is. And, and the, the great thing that our poor kids have to deal with is, is FOMO, the, the fear of missing out. <laughs> And so they see what everybody else is doing and is hopefully we're wise enough to know you're not missing out. You missed out on five seconds of something that will never happen again in their whole life. But for a moment is captured to try to generate that uh, within our hearts. I think the other thing to keep in mind is when it comes to jealousy and envy that all of us are going to be at different seasons and different spaces in our life. At all kinds of times. When I was in my mid-twenties and married to April, we couldn't afford to go to Olive Garden. You know, 23 years old. And we were so broke. Back then, the Olive Garden soup and salad, all you could eat was $3.99. And we went, and I had the salad and she had the soup. (laughs) And the waitress hated us. (laughs) And that was a big deal. That was huge. That was, that was, those $4, that was a big old deal to get to do that. You think I think about life like that now? No. God's brought me very far. 
But the point is to understand we're all at different places and different seasons at different times. We've all walked through the time of poverty and the time of difficulty. And then you're in the times of prosperity and the times of success. And you know, as the book of Ecclesiastes says, you're going to be in one spot and then you're going to be in the other spot. So enjoy wherever you're at the moment. There's no reason to be jealous. You'll be on the roller coaster and so will they. And sometimes we think that we've got to be all the way out here to this one point and it'll always stay at that one point. That's not how life works. Don't be jealous and don't be envious. These are moments that we all get to enjoy at various times. Ah, verse 20, look at another one. Fits of anger. I like that reading. Fits of anger, outbursts of wrath. Getting angry at people is not walking by the Spirit. And you cannot allow emotion to spill into action. And there are all kinds of ways that happens. This is kind of a short description of some of the ways of what fits of anger would look like. Yelling and screaming. Slam a door, make a scene, get red in the face, raise your voice, sharpen your tone, break something. Give them the cold shoulders the other side. That's always, I always put that up there because people will go, I have great control of anger. I just never talk to them again. That's anger. <laughs> That's the same thing. <laughs> just exhibiting in a different way. Same problem. You are not holier uh, than everybody else on that. These are all fits of anger that, that are being described. And it's important to understand that that is what what is being talked about here are these kinds of responses. We've talked about anger a a number of times in in this last year, so I'm not going to spend a long time on this just to remind ourselves that anger is selfishness. It's where it comes from. Somebody didn't do what you thought they should have done, and you're mad about it. At the end of the day, that's what it is. And a reminder of what James says is that does not produce the righteousness of God in us. That is a a selfish response that that we often have within us. And so anger is not what we are supposed to, to have, and it does not represent Christ. And so let's put that away as we consider that, because sometimes that's another acceptable sin. What's our acceptable sin to that? Well, you made me do it. You made me mad. So it's all your fault. And I think it's so interesting that God never comes in there and says, don't be angry unless someone made you angry. Then it's okay. It's all right. That's how we want to justify it. No fits of anger, no outbursts of wrath. That should be removed from us as well. One more that I think it's worth talking about in here. Of course, all of them are worth talking about. But for the sake of time, I'm kind of just zeroing in on things that we can find to be acceptable, that we can allow to have happen. And you see it in the end of verse 20, you see dissensions and divisions. And again, we're living in a culture right now that encourages that, really encourages that kind of thinking, drawing lines in the sand, being divisive, separating from one another. In our culture right now, it's really easy to get caught up in taking sides. Everybody argues over masks, lockdowns, vaccines, alternative medications, politics. It's a whole thing. We've, had, we've enjoyed a great 18 months right now of all of that going on. And it's important to make sure that as Christians, we're not engaged in that and we're arguing and fighting over the very same thing and dividing with each other on that. And again, watching how culture spills into our lives It's so easy what happens is we begin to slander one another. Those people are so stupid because they think 
You know, what a bunch of morons there. And we get going. And I want us to be careful about us rallying around either groups or parties or ideas that are not spiritual and that they're not regards to Jesus. Remind us that the scriptures are always telling us we as the people of God are supposed to be the peacemakers, not the instigators. Jesus walked around saying that, but how about what the apostle Paul says? As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all the people that you agree with. read that wrong that's often how we operate i'm going to be at peace with everybody who agrees with me i'm going to blow up everybody who doesn't i'm going to let them have it fits of anger wrath dissension division i'm going to slander them as much as it depends on you as much control as you have in the situation you're supposed to be at peace with all people and there is probably no better time for us to look radically different in our culture than being able to do that. To be able to be calm, calm discussions, talk about these things in our world, and present the gospel in light of what's going on in the world without being divisive, without dissension, without anger, without all of those kinds of things that our culture says you need to do. You know, be angry and get upset and hate people and just to be able to calmly and peaceably Share Christ, represent Christ, and calmly talk about these kinds of things. We are supposed to be the peacemakers. And so I would ask with this as well, is that is that us? Are we the ones who are making peace? Are we able to do that? Are we at peace with all people or not? So let me end by talking about a couple of things. The other ones are there for you. They're just as equally important. It really is a sake of time and me just kind of thinking about well, what are the ones that we might let through the gates and may not realize that we've allowed into our hearts and our lives. But I want us to see that what you notice that the Apostle Paul does not merely say is, now here's the works of the flesh and they're obvious, they're evident, verse 19, and then he starts listing them all out. And then at the end of verse 21, he then turns around and says, so stop it. He doesn't say that, although obviously these are not supposed to be in our lives, but he's thinking bigger than that. The point of the list is not just to simply say, okay, if you're doing these things, knock it off and quit it. But instead, I think he's trying to get us to think about how eye-opening it would be to understand that if we are allowing our hearts or our lives to practice these things, you're not walking by the spirit. You're not inheriting the kingdom of God. That's the seriousness of what's being described here. That if we allow ourselves to practice the behaviors and have the kind of hearts and attitudes that are described in this text, he's very plain here. You are not inheriting the kingdom of God. You are showing that you are not walking by the spirit but following the flesh with its desires. And I think that's important for us to just kind of let rest on us for a moment. That th that's why the Apostle Paul put these things here, is trying to help us to see what sphere we're in. It's easy to say, oh, I'm definitely walking by the Spirit and following God. And so it's almost as if the Apostle Paul hears us saying that and says, yeah, but what about these areas? 
That's why I think like murder and all that's not on the list. Of course, those are works of the flesh. But he's zeroing in on things that you might not think about as being a part of gratifying the flesh. And if you are allowing these things into your heart and practicing these things in your life, not inheriting the kingdom of God. Listen to how the apostle John worded this. He said, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin and in him there is no sin. No one abides in him and keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I think it is interesting because the apostle John says it the same way, but he says it like this. You're either born of God or born of the devil. The apostle Paul said, walking by the spirit or walking by the flesh. That's how he termed it. Same idea, same picture. You're in one sphere or the other. And notice he says, if you're making a practice of doing these things in your life, if these things are common to you, if these things are a repetition, these are the things that flow out of the heart, then it shows who you've been born to. It shows where you belong. And that's why the list is there, to try to get us to think about what we need to do. I want to end by thinking about this then for us. I so desperately wanted to then move into the fruit of the spirit, but you don't have 30 more minutes. And so we'll have to do that next week. But when you have a list here like this and from verse 19 through verse 21, what you have the apostle Paul doing is essentially trying to tell us you need to pull out your weeds. You need to pull out your weeds. Verse 24, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In my front yard, I have a plant that's been there from the beginning of the building of the house. And there is this really annoying weed. It's an annoying weed because it is probably the stringiest weed I've ever seen in my life. And yet it has grown up beside this plant and intertwined it and intertwined it and intertwined it and it just weaves off. And it's just this little string. And I try to pull that thing off of there. It's the strongest weed I've ever seen in my life. It'll hurt your hand before you, it will not break when you pull on it. Even, and it's just wound all through there. And I'm trying to free the plant from this thing and trying to get it out from it. And I'll pull it all out of there and get it all. I think I've got it all. And I'll get out there another month later. And that thing's doing it all again and winding it up all over again. It drives me crazy. That's the idea of what the Apostle Paul's talking about here is it is really easy to have the plant 
and go, yeah, but it's this one little stringy weed. It's not that big of a deal, you know? We're just talking about anger. It's just jealousy. It's just a little sensuality on some TV, you know? It's not that big of a deal. That's it's all right. It's just a little bit of arguing, dissension. It's all right. A little divisiveness, not a big deal. You know, we... We can allow these little weaves to just kind of wind around and wind around and wind around. If I let that thing go, I'm not going to see the plant. It's trying to choke that thing out as it grows around it and grows around it and it gets stronger and wraps its, its cords around it. We need to be very careful that we cannot allow ourselves to think that we can walk with God. And allow these sins to be practiced in our lives. To allow these sins to remain. That's what the whole picture was that was given to us back in verse 17. Remember what he said? The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And they are opposed to one another. They can't coexist. We try so hard to make them coexist. Remember three weeks ago I said, that's what makes us miserable Christians, that miserable Christian idea of you allow these sins to wind around and then we're miserable because we're either feeling guilty about the sins we've committed or we're allowing all these things that are ruining our walk with God. And I just want to tell us that today is the day to really pull out the weeds. You and I cannot be fruitful in our walk with God Be what God has called us to be if we're allowing the weeds that are described here to just wind around the heart and wind around our lives and continue to choke it out. Now, I don't know where your weaknesses are, but you do. You know where those temptations are. You know where your heart is and you know where the traps are. And you have to be honest enough to walk into those moments and go into the places in your heart and in your life and tear those weeds out. That picture that's given here, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You don't allow those things to stay there. You make changes. You do what needs to be done. To get that weed to stop winding around the plant that God has given to you as a fruitful child of God. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we live in a time where our culture just teaches us everything that is contrary to you. And teaches us to think that these attitudes and behaviors are acceptable. And Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts and help us to consider if any of these works that are described in your word are weeds that are growing in our hearts and that you would help us to have strength and courage to root them out. And God, help us to see these areas that can just be blind to us, that we accept within us, that we can think are okay for us to practice, okay to have hearts that are engaged in this way. So God, help us to see it. And Lord, give us the strength to actively fight against the temptations, actively fight against Satan and the work that he is doing. Because we know that we have weaknesses, we have temptation points, we have areas that we struggle. Help us to not accept it. 
but help us instead to go to war against the desires of the flesh. Help us to pull the weeds. And Lord, we are grateful and so thankful that you forgive us for our failures and our shortcomings. Forgive us, Lord, for as many things that we have allowed to reside in our lives, as many things that we've allowed to reside in our minds and in our hearts. Forgive us for it, Lord, and we pray that you would give us a greater victory in the days ahead as we look to you and rely upon you. Help us to overcome these sins. And help us to have the strength to change our habits and change our our ways and our attitudes so that we can have victory to not gratify the desires of the flesh any longer. In Jesus' name, amen.